Good morning, and welcome to a Vision Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, February 1st, 2016. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 2, and we are at page 26, Paragraph 3. Today's readers are Larry K., Duell, and Santa H. The reference number for Sunday, January 31st, is 8424. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is the fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne Marie M. to read the 12 steps. This is Anne Marie, a compulsive overeater, the 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I will now ask Sandy L. to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, everyone. I'm Sandy L. from Chicago. Grateful for this program. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, 
to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group should never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise that's problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting and chronic outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Pass. Thank you so much, Sandy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 26, paragraph 3. I will ask Larry Kay to begin reading, and he's going to read two paragraphs, and our comments will be focused on the second paragraph. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, it's Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsible Reader from Chicago. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, does not need a bodyguard nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. So good morning again. Uh, Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, set my timer here. You know, Roland Hazard um, in 1931 was really no different than you and I in, here in, in 2016. You know, bottom line, he was, uh, he was utterly hopeless. I mean, no chance of recovery. No, no chance of recovery of his own accord, of his own making here. And yet here was a guy with nearly unlimited resources at his disposal, with access to, to, to one of the greatest uh, psychiatrists of, of that time in, in Dr. Young. 
And yet he simply couldn't extricate himself from this disease. And um, so how was it that Roland Hazard uh, you know, gained his freedom? Because that's what we're reading about in the second paragraph that I read. Well, I'll tell you, really, the same way that you and I did. We didn't pull ourselves from the quicksand. You know, while, while Roland Hazard didn't have the exact same uh, 12 steps that you and I uh, have today, um, he did employ the, the, the principles of the Oxford group at that time, which was really the, you know, that was the foundation of, um, of our program. And, um, you know, after learning of the spiritual phenomena, because Dr. Jung spoke of the spiritual phenomena, and said that, it, you know, yes, this, you know, there were at certain times that he, he had learned that, that this spiritual phenomena, this complete shift, this change had enabled others to become disentangled from this disease. Roland became, you know, very active with the Oxford group uh, led by a clergyman by the name of Sam Shoemaker. And, you know, it, it talks about in that second paragraph about this, this simple attitude. You know, we got to maintain this simple attitude. Well, you know, we're, we're speaking of the steps, you know, we talk about leaning into the steps. And, and, and even at that time, that's what we're talking about, too, the foundation of, of acceptance, acceptance of this disease, uh, some basis for surrender to a power greater than ourselves. You know, there was uh, the, the, the impetus for a, a moral inventory, which we, which we took. And there was some, you know, it was important for some form of restitution. And then, of course, service you know, a way of living in alignment with this, this, this higher power of your own understanding. And so that's, you know, today I hear about leaning into the steps. You know, that was how I maintain, you know, today I, got, I have 10, 11, and 12 that I can lean into the steps. And I don't do it perfectly, but I, I'll tell you, this spiritual transformation, this change, it's like uh, the cancer is in remission. You know, cancer is either progressing or it's in remission. There's no middle ground here. And that's um, what a beautiful, beautiful program we have. Um, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Larry. Who would like to share on this second paragraph? Reva P. Okay, I got Reva P, Nessa R, Sally. Was that Sally I heard? Yeah, it's Sally. Thank you. Okay, who else? Vasa O. Vasa O. Okay, let's go with those four, and then we'll pick it up again. Uh, Reva P, please go. Good morning. This is Reva P, Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater, I wanted to highlight the fact that the word free is written uh, twice in this paragraph um, and talk about what does that mean to me to be free. Um, freedom means um, not having myself binging my face off um, all day, all night. Um, but freedom is also not thinking about the food um, so it's not about being a dry drunk or abstinent only, where I'm still obsessing about calories and what I did or did not or would like to or would like to not eat. It's not thinking about food. It's freedom from that chatter, chatter, chatter in my head 
all day constantly um, so that no matter what I do with food, it's not it's not right. And freedom, uh, once the food is quiet and um, I'm not triggering the allergy um, or having that crazy obsession chatter in my head, is truly living my life, being totally clear-minded and present so that when I start getting agitated um, or a little resentful, I implement the steps, um, turn it around, and my mind is free again. Um, it's constantly cleaning up all the gook in my head um, so that I'm clear and I'm present. Um, and I didn't know how fogged I was until I got defogged um, and provided, provided, um, that's like a big, um, you know, if I maintain a certain simple attitude and the simple attitude is practicing the steps um, and remembering that I'm not in charge. Um, I have this built-in forgetter, um, but every 24 hours I have to remember I'm not in charge of my work, my family, um, and my life. Um, and it is just so amazing to live like that. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Reva. Nessa R., you're up. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. And I love the story of um, Roland Hazard. Um, like, I like the story of Fred in uh, More of Alcoholism because these are men who seemingly had everything. Everything was going right for them. They had wealth. They had whatever they wanted. And um, they still they drank. They drank. You know, for the longest time, I thought that the reason I overate was because of my own personal circumstances, you know. If only this was this way, then I would be happy and I wouldn't have to eat. If only that was that way, um, I wouldn't be so stressed out and I wouldn't have to eat. And this shows me, these stories show me that, you know, I don't overeat because of my circumstances. Because these men had everything going for them and they drank. And even when things were going well for me and I had whatever I wanted and things were going my way, I feel overate. You know, I, I overate when I was happy, when I was sad, when I was angry, when I was glad. You know, it didn't really matter, you know, whether I was making a lot of money or making a little money. And this is just uh, um, evidence of that. And I also like, um, when I comment on this maintaining a certain simple attitude, for me, this means that um, it, it refers to the admission of powerlessness. You know, I am powerless over food. And unless I admit that and I am 100% convinced, sure, beyond any reasonable doubt that I am powerless over food, um, then I don't need to be abstinent and I don't need um, the spiritual help. You know, if, if I can control the food, then I don't have to... Um, do all the work that I currently do to um, stay abstinent and maintain my my recovered state. Um, so I think that that's a, that's a, that's a key. You know, unless we admit that we are powerless over food, we cannot put the food down. And it, it all starts there, and that's why it's so important to maintain this certain simple attitude, and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nessa and Sally A. You're up. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, a vision for you of Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. 
And uh, it's interesting how we, we look at these words and they speak in different ways to our hearts. We're, we're different, but we're the same, all of us. And when I read the bottom of this page on page 26, this man still lives and is a free man. And we're talking about an alcoholic here. This is not a guy who went into battle um, against um, 40 lions in the middle of a desert. The guy is an alcoholic. And listen to the words, the, the words that they're using. This man still lives and is a free man. Freedom. He does not need a bodyguard. That's interesting because I needed a bodyguard just like he needed a bodyguard at one point too. And the bodyguard was for me against me. I was the enemy. Me. Nobody outside of me. I needed a bodyguard who would stop me from going into the kitchen, stop me from going to the refrigerator, stop me from turning to to um, eating to the point of making myself so sick that I had to go, that I had to go and become bulimic because I had to relieve myself of the suffering of being so stuffed. So this man, like me, was in a place in his mind. It's all in our head. It's all the crux of the matter, our head, that he lives and that he's a free man and that he doesn't need a bodyguard, just like I don't need a bodyguard anymore against me. I am the terrorist against me, nor is he confined. I am the one who wished upon wishes. I wished upon a star that somehow somebody could lock me to a radiator and keep me from the damage that I would do in the evening hours. He can go anywhere on this earth, like me. I can go into a pizzeria. I don't have to have that bite of pizza anymore. I can walk into uh, an ice cream parlor with my family. I can go into a bakery. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me anymore. It honestly is, to me, it has skull and crossbones all over it. I know that it's poison for me. And I am a free woman. And I may go without disaster, providing he remained willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And these words, a simple, a certain simple attitude, these words are very complex words. They're not as easy to understand on the outside. And let me say for me, it's not about me understanding my powerlessness as much as it is for me understanding pages 417 through 420. That's why I had to read those pages every single day. For weeks I had to read those pages because I didn't understand that I, was, that I had to admit and I had to accept life on life's terms and my time is up. And let me just end by saying that those pages, 417 through 420, were crucial pages for me to surrender the outcomes, to accept life to stop this wrestling, this struggling with this world and with me. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. And Vasa O, it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa O, Recover Compulsive Reader, calling from Florida. Oh, boy, this is such a good paragraph. Um, and uh, I have all, I love all the stories that are in the big book, um, and how, especially when I came first in the program, how the 100 men and women had recovered, and it gave me so much hope. You know, I'm just so grateful somebody gave me this book to read it. And uh, I, I didn't need anyone to diagnose me 
you know, that I was a food addict or I had food addiction or whatever, you know, I I knew from the inside because I could not stop it. You know, I could stop it for a while, but I, you know, I could go on those diets, but I could not keep it down, you know. And it's not like I didn't try. I tried many, many, many times. But, you know, again, like the bodyguard, I remember before I came to recovery, I remember thinking, oh, my God, if my if if they if some, my husband just locks me in the room and goes to work and I can't get out then I cannot be going in the in the food i mean isn't that insane how i thought but that's how i thought you know i just felt so powerless you know so helpless i really did you know and uh again for me i was just so ready there was no place more to go this was the place to to and this is the place to stay. I need it. Uh, I don't need that bodyguard anymore. I can go anywhere, any place in this world. I mean, I've gone in so many cruises since I've been in recovery. I've gone to in Europe. I've taken two or three trips. I mean, here I can go anywhere. I can go to parties. I can go to the walks in the stores. I don't spend a lot of time in those places, you know, because there's no need for me. There was a time I couldn't even look at the stuff in the in the stores, you know, go to the bakery and stuff. And now I can go by. It does not even call me. And I'm just so grateful. The obsession, the compulsion is lifted. I'm thankful to God that brought me into OA. So grateful that I learned about the allergy, the mental obsession, and all this, it's right here. The recipe is right here. Just follow. Follow the directions. That's what I'm doing. And then I'm just so grateful I can help others, you know, like people have helped me. And, you know, yes, people recovered in those days, and I see the recovery people are having now by going through the 12 steps, have recovered, and I've going through recovery as we go along. So I'm just so grateful to be with all of you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, who else would like to share on this paragraph? Renata. Melissa C. Oh, this is Raquel. Okay, Raquel, I have Renata, Melissa C. Santa H. Raquel, Santa H. Okay, let's go with those. Go ahead, Renata, then Melissa C., Raquel, and Santa. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. Uh, some new thoughts came to me about this paragraph this morning. Um, you know, he's talking here how, you know, Roland can go anywhere and he does not need a bodyguard, not nor is he confined. And, uh, you know... Um, the steps, the work of the steps gave me access to my own personal bodyguard. You know, my higher power is my bodyguard today. What is the job of a bodyguard? Is to keep us safe and protected. And like it says on a 10-step promises, that's exactly what my higher power does for me. You know, it restores me to sanity on daily basis. You know, and so, you know, when I come across my binge foods, let's say, 
I don't have insane thinking. I'm safe and protected because my my higher power is guiding me. Like, don't go there, go here. You know, that's not safe. Stay on this path. And, you know, it says here, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude, right? So there's a condition here. And uh, what is that simple attitude? For me, what came up this morning is an attitude of humility, that on my own I cannot conquer this disease. Either if I'm going through the steps, you know, like just starting on step one, or if I'm on step 10, 11, and 12. You know, that I need to have access to a higher power. And so, you know, the way I get that access is to work steps one through nine and then to maintain, you know, that uh, that path, that channel open. I live in 10, 11, and 12. The minute I start thinking I don't need a power greater than myself, then I stop doing the work and then, you know, I'm face down back in the food. So, um, you know, also this simple attitude, right? Like working with steps means, means that I live the principles of this program in all of my affairs, not just while I'm on the phone line or sharing with fellows. Wherever I go, you know, I need to do my best to live by my higher power's will, not Renata's will anymore. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. And next is Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, I was thinking about that bodyguard and um, how, um, you know, I thought it was always external things, you know, and I, I could um, lock myself up in a way from those external things, and surely I could stay away from the food or stay away from trouble or stay away from crazy thinking. And um, yet I'm the thing that's broken. I'm the dangerous um, piece here. It's me. I'm a danger to myself. And so it's me that needed to change. I needed a complete transformation, a new attitude, a simple new attitude. And, um, And with that, I have freedom, you know, and um, and yes, freedom from the food that I can be around it, and it's I, there's no resentment, there's no emotional response to me. It's not like I'm resisting or um, looking at it. It just is. It's like um, it just has no interest, no power, and um, and so that's incredible. And then the other thing that um, with this simple attitude, I have freedom from um, my crazy thinking. You know, I um, my mother texted me last night upset with my sister about something, and I'm realizing just how much this beautiful program of recovery has changed me because I normally would have jumped right in there. I would have loved nothing better than to be the good daughter for those 10 minutes and get myself involved. And I have freedom from that today. My simple attitude is love and acceptance and look to make peace and be a And um, thank you with that off Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Raquel, your turn. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. 
Hello, can you hear me? This yes, is Raquel calling. Yes, Raquel, go ahead. I, go ahead. I, I, hello to my whole family and hello to the moderator. I wanted to um, to just say uh, something. I don't know if I can formulate it right, but um says that he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. He really only got half the truth. The other half the truth, Dr. Young wrote to Bill 30 years later. And because that power that that held me by my neck, and he's sitting here in the corner, his fingernails still dripping blood from my heart, is a power which Dr. Young did not dare mention to, um, to uh, Roland Hazard. And here is what he says, and I really refer to, I, I think this is just, this is the next to the big book, is the writings of Bill, uh, that he, the letter from Carl Jung answering him after 30 years and saying that he couldn't tell all, the whole truth to, um, to um, Roland Hazard. His craving for alcohol was the equivalent of a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness, expressed in medieval language, the union with God. How could one formulate such an insight in a language that is not misunderstood in our days? That's what he's saying. Later on, he calls him the right thing, the devil. And the devil, God created him. And he is stronger than us, and God is stronger than him. So if I want any refuge from what is ailing me, it's only the turning to God. And he's given me in this last seven years, a month, and 21 days, something that I could not have accomplished and did not accomplish with a lot of help from other sources. So I, I really urge everybody to read that correspondence between between Bill W. and um, Dr. Jung, uh, who answered him in 1961, that explains why alone we cannot do this. And um, and I and I love you all and thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Everybody have a good, abstinent, recovering day. Thank you, Raquel and Santa H. You're up. Can I be here, Katie? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Santa H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from New Jersey for today. I just wanted to comment on this paragraph here um, because this was a tough one for me. And I first want to mention uh, what, I, what comes out for me when I hear the words so, certain simple attitudes. That takes me back to page 25 that I needed to understand in my innermost being that it meant that I had to have a deep, effective spiritual experience which revolutionized my whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards the God universe. So that, that was the attitude that I had to acquire in this program. Then the next thing was that struck me that was difficult for me was this whole notion of where he says, the doctor's great opinion, that he was um, locked up and then now he's free. How is that possible? And so this compulsive mind of mine needed to know the how and why of it and what I found that was very helpful for me um, that someone led me to was reading page 101 to 103. And for anyone else out there who will be struggling with this area of how that was possible, I find studying these pages 
gave, gave given me complete details on instructions as to how to handle any possible situation that an alcoholic mind like mine may may put may be placed maybe in may have to face. So I wanted to share a little bit in my in the rest of the time that I have that stood out for me. It sits on the bottom of page one hundred. It says, assuming he is spiritually fit, he can do all sorts of things that alcoholic are not supposed to do. And then the question is, well, people have said we must not. And then they go in and tell all these things we cannot do. And they end by saying, our experience show that is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every single day. And so how is that possible? It goes on to say, in our belief, in any scheme of combating alcoholism, which combats the shield, a sick man from temptation is doomed to fail. So I could not do that. And it goes on and says that we have legitimate reason to be there. And it was really helpful for me with these questions. I would ask myself on each occasion that I want to go into on the bottom of page 101. These are questions that I had answered. And I love what they said at the end of the question. They said, if you can answer these questions satisfactorily, you have no comprehension. Go or stay, whatever is best. But be sure that you are on solid spiritual grounds before you start. And that motive is really you, that motive is going is really good. Do not think of what you can get out of the occasion, what you can bring to it. Um, but if you are shaky, it is better to work with another alcoholic instead. And so that was very helpful to me. And I just want to end this here by saying on page 103 in italics, which brought it all together for me, is after all, our problem is of our own making. The bottle was only a symbol. Besides, we had to stop fighting anything or anyone. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Santa. And now I will ask Duell to move on, please. And she's going to read the next four paragraphs. Do please press star one to unmute. Thank you. Okay. Good morning. This is Duell. And it goes on to say some of our, of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. With this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. The exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomenon. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of our lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and completely set new new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the method which I employ are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And the asterisk says for amplification, see appendix two. Boy, that's a lot of paragraphs, but i um, just going to focus on a couple of things here. Um, let me just set my timer. 
Good morning. My name is Du L, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, what I see here is, you know, <laughs> the attitude that most alcoholics, addicts, compulsive overeaters have, which is, you know, um, do I have an exception? Can I, can I uh, control my gluttony? Can I control, uh, you know, my gluttony without having any consequences of practicing gluttony? You know, I want what I want when I want it, and I want to eat everything in sight without gaining the weight. And, you know, and, and that's what every compulsive overeater has. So, you know, the doctor's saying, no, you know, we, you know if, if you are that type of alcoholic, if you're that type of mind, that constitutes you as a chronic alcoholic. And he says, I've never seen anyone gain control again, you know, uh, with their food, with their drink. I, I haven't seen that. And, you know, that for our friend, Roland Hazard, you know, it seems like the gates of hell closed up on him, which, you know, that's the state we need to be in, um, you know, and taking the first step is, is hitting that bottom, knowing that there is no other option other than what he describes here as a spiritual experience. You know, the only one that could get me out of the gates of hell is God. And what he's saying here is this spiritual experience, you know, that there was a huge emotional displacement and rearrangement. So, so certain things have to be discarded. The ideas, the emotional um, attitudes, which were the guiding forces of our lives, our thinking. Our thinking needs to be changed. And the only one that could change my mental thinking is this higher power you know, that it speaks about here. Um, and he says, you know, when you tune into this phenomenon, when you tune into this higher power, when you turn, tune into the spiritual experience, you're able to leave those old ideas behind and develop new conceptions, new ideas. And we were talking about those simple, um, simple attitude, you know, and it's about, you know, a belief in the power of God. Uh, as we read in page 13, willingness, honesty, humility are the essentials, you know, and, and um, as long as I have those, those simple attitudes, then I can embark on the rest of the program, you know, and also the steps, you know, the steps will give me that new way of thinking, that new attitude that I need, but I need to be engaged in it in order to be relieved from it. And so uh, that's what I see here, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Du. Who would like to share on these paragraphs? James. Lynn S. Kathy K. Suji. Okay, just a second. I have James. Um, I'm sorry, there's someone right after that. And Suji. Kathy K. Kathy Amy K. E. Amy E. Amy E. I got you, Amy E. Leah. I Lynette. There was someone. Oh, Lynn S. I knew there was someone. Thank you. Okay, so we have <clears throat> James, Lynn S., Sue G., Kathy K., Amy E., and Leah M. Go ahead, please, James. Good morning. This is James C. from Ohio, um, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, very exciting uh, read this morning. I just want to say that um, this vital spiritual experience is paramount. Um, it sets you on course for a journey and a distance run for the rest of your life in the spirit. 
And it also, what, what I like also about it, it says a completely newfound set of concepts, motives begins to dominate them. And it dominated us and it dominates me. <laughs> it's a new set of concepts. And, and the best way I can describe this program in, in this context of this paragraph is I compare it to a distance runner. Um, um, if, you, if you look at the training of a distance runner, what they have to go through, they learn something very quickly. They learn to, to take pace and run the race at the pace by which they've trained at. They don't try to run somebody else's pace. They don't try to run somebody else's form. The quickest thing that will get you knocked down or, or injured within, within your, um, your daily affairs is trying to take up somebody else's program the way somebody else does it. This has got to be your own personal program, and you've got to run at your pace. And when you begin to run it at your pace, you start to realize, wow, you don't, you don't, you don't have these 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 incredible disasters that happen where you're falling on your face, you're injured, you've injured somebody else while you went down, in in a tight race where you're you're crowded together, you fall down, you're taking down some other people with you. So so what's happening in, in this and and I'm just using this as, as as the analogy is, we've learned a new set of concepts or I have, and um and it begins to to dominate us in that we run injured free. We run at a pace where we can actually, uh, where we're not panic-stricken, we're not, we're not critical, we're not hyperventilating, we're not struggling. We're running at a pace that basically truly complements the fact that we've been assigned, we've been given a program of success, and that now, now, now this becomes now the program of attraction. I've always admired people who could, who could handle the pace, handle the stress, handle the unexpected experiences, all those things that drive us to compulsive overeating or that, draw, that have driven us in the past, whether it's our past, whether it's, it's the unexpected phone call, whether it's the disappointment. The shocker of all of this is we will be disappointed and surprised today with something that we didn't expect. But the question is, is how are you going to handle it? Already knowing God's will for you, you already have a form and you have a pace to run your life in. Knowing these steps and program, this program has given you a spiritual experience that you can stand and that you can maintain a, pro a progress and a pace that truly glorifies the God that has basically raised you up. With that, I pass. Thank you, James. Lynn S., you're up. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. This is really speaking to me this morning because this is exactly where I feel I'm at. I've just completed step five. And a lot of the stuff about myself I knew. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know I'm like that, I know I'm like that. But to hear others' perception of it, to get a different glimpse of it, to see it in a different light, really brought it home to me in a, in a completely different way. And I could see how those old attitudes, emotions, beliefs, ideas were running my life and running it into disaster all the time. And it's so amazing to now be in a position where you can see that and you're willing and you're ready to cast those aside and move on to something else. And, and what's so phenomenal about it is in moving on, like it's been a spiritual experience so far, but in moving on knowing 
that all I can do is the step work, but that God will remove these things from me. These will be changed, and a completely new set of concepts and motives are going to begin to dominate me. It's a, it's a really exciting place to be. I do think it's a phenomenon for me. It, it is certainly a phenomenon. I'm, I'm caught up in the whole awesomeness of the program and the way it works and the amazing spiritual experiences that come along the way, like the amount of, I don't know how to explain it, but I see all around me are friends that are on this journey that are that are continually working the steps and continually going to God and asking for change and noticing what's happening. It really is a phenomenon. I am so blessed to be where I am right now and looking forward to moving on. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lynn S. Sue G., you're up. Thank you. Good morning. Good Good Monday. Um, this is Sue from Michigan. Um, I don't know that I can say recovered right now. Um, I go with the definition of absence being not picking up anything compulsively when it's not my time to eat. So, um, but, you know, but, um, you know, Bill likes to use different words um, to mean the same thing. But to get his point across, he uses different words. So he uses vital spiritual experience, phenomena, displacement, rearrangements, conceptions, motives begin to dominate them, new sets of them. Um, and then he goes, it's so important that he goes to spiritual experience again and goes to that appendix. He wants to make sure that if you miss it the first time around, you're going to get a second time in the same chapter. And I've never uh, been quiet about me being one of these God consciousness people, religious members. Um, And there's plenty of room for um, those of us that are that way. And um, I still am looking for that full recovery where I can get to that point where I can walk in someplace. Um, where the experience is such a phenomenon, such a rearrangement, um, such a new set of conceptions and motives that I can go anywhere and not even be the thought, not even enter my mind about wanting or uh, of sharing something, not sharing something, but letting someone else have half of something and me ordering my own food. Um, I'm careful how much of it I eat, but I I am... um, is there no exception? Yes. So um, I'm still looking to be that full exception where I, where food doesn't even enter my mind. Um, it still does. And um, I just thank you for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you. Kat, Kathy Kay, you're up. Thank you, Katie, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. And um, I, this last paragraph is so meaningful to me. And uh, what I want to share is that for me, um, I didn't uh, experience a full emotional rearrangement um, all at once. In fact, for me, it's not 
a linear process. There are days when I feel uh, restless, irritable, and discontented, and I'm not necessarily able to turn it around um, with a tenth step. Um, And sometimes I have to sit with what feels to me like I've gone back into relapse. But what I've learned is that for me, the process is not linear. I take two steps forward and then sometimes one step backward. And as long as I keep working the steps, uh, I move forward and I learn something and I become that much more connected with God. Um, But I just wanted to say that because there was a period, quite a long period, when I would tell myself, I guess I'm not recovered because I still have these episodes um, when I feel lousy. I don't turn to food anymore, so in that sense I am recovered. But um, those emotional rearrangements are happening. But as uh, I think it was James said before, it's at my own pace, and my own pace Uh, has been um, what it is and not without uh, regressing a little bit so that I see what God needs me to see in order to um, develop some new ideas and attitudes. It was not just a once-and-for-all rearrangement. But I'm so grateful I'm in the process and I know what it means to keep working the steps um, so that I can continue to heal. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. And Amy E., you're up. Thank you, Amy E., recovered in Ohio. Um, Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side. What are these ideas, emotions, and attitudes, and what casts them to one side? I'm looking at page 48 and 49. It's embedded in a lot of these pages here in We Agnostics. Page 48, the practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. That describes me for sure. Page 49, instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? Um, And what is... What is the uh, spiritual experience that cast it suddenly to one side? Well, it goes back to this idea of a simple attitude. And I've been really um, digging into this because page 25 talked about a simple kit of spiritual tools. Page 46 talks about simple steps. Page 47 really explains it. It talks about the simple cornerstone that is the center of our recovery. And it begins by asking ourselves but one short question on page 47. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? 
As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So the spiritual experience begins with the simple acknowledgement that I am not God and that there is a power greater than me uh, upon whom I can rely upon to solve my problem with food and my, and my problems with life. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Amy. And Leah M., you're up. Thanks so much, Katie, for your service. You know, when I look at this paragraph, um, you know, vital spiritual experiences, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, uh, Guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side. New conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. I mean, throughout this paragraph, it's making it clear that uh, this is about change. And I, I needed to understand that. And my understanding came from the education that I got through this book and from those in whom the problem had been solved. Because... Um, you know, for a long time, for years, I was thinking abstinence uh, was the solution to my disease. And, you know, it took an education of this text and others to make me understand that treating compulsive overeating with a diet is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. The treatment is not adequate for the, con- for the condition at hand. Um, because the same person will eat again. You know, that's why I kept, uh, you know, falling back face first into the food because I was not changing through just a mere physical solution of abstinence. More than my compulsive overeating had to be arrested. My own philosophy, my ideas, my beliefs, my attitudes had to be confronted and overhauled. And that was possible through the process of these steps. Because the same consciousness that created the problem of compulsive overeating could not be the same consciousness that solved the problem. Because my greatest obstacle was me. My greatest obstacle was my thinking. So that was the urgency and necessity of the 12 steps because the 12-step process brought about a transforming experience. I didn't know until you guys educated me, those in whom the problem had been solved, that I was suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience was going to be able to conquer. You know, I kept looking at a, at a food plan. Um, I didn't realize that I had to be transformed. You know, I kept always focused on the outside world when I was disturbed instead of focusing on the fact that I am disturbed, that I was disturbed. Today, thank God, through the 12 steps and continuing to live in 10, 11, 12, I have a program, a plan where I can become undisturbed. And that's the process of these steps. I'm not what I used to be. Old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that I had when I arrived here have been cast aside and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes now dominate me. And if I get off the beam, step 10 realigns me. Step 11 continues to strengthen and develop that relationship and keeps me on strong footing. And, of course, step 12, my responsibility and obligation to carry the message. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And thank you to everyone who participated this morning.
Um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Santa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Santa H., a grateful recovered compulsive reader, calling from New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, we cannot transmit something we haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will, be, we will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>